right. Welcome back, KBLA Talk 1580. I'm your host, Angelique Francis, and this is Living in the Sweet Spot. We define the sweet spot as the intersection between power, divine timing, and performance, all to accomplish like an amazing purpose. And so I continue to bring you these amazing um, people that have sometimes overcome amazing circumstances, and we share conversations with you. We talk about miraculous Kairos moments. We talk about um, getting from trials and tribulations to triumphs. We do it all right here in the sweet spot. And I've got some really good news. Come all. We just uploaded a podcast um, and you can now listen to some of the past episodes of Living in the Sweet Spot with Angelique Francis on Spotify. Check it out. Check out the first season. In a couple of weeks, we're going to load up the second season and we'll keep you listening and loving and just really being witness to some amazing stories. So today, I'm excited to bring um, someone to you. Let me tell you about Tony Shellman. He's the principal founder and blue deluxe group consultant agency with over 20 years experience in innovative marketing, branding, and profit growth. He rec- he's recognized as the co-founder of urban clothing brands in Nietzsche, Mecca UCAA, and Parish Clothing. Tony's savvy brand knowledge cultivated and changed how some of the most globally recognized urban clothing brands do business, even today. He's clearly the pioneer. Uh, he's a guru of brand knowledge and organic consumer engagement. He's recently working at um, Eastside Golf Projects, and he's the head of marketing at the iconic Sportsman brand the starter company and we are just so excited to have this living legend <laughs> in branding and marketing who's defined hip-hop <laughs> and that would be none other than tony shellman we're going to talk about you tony but i just had to give you your props because you've been doing this for a minute and you're amazing welcome in the sweet spot Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk to you about. You're in New York, oh. but you started out in Seattle, Washington, if I'm correct. And just tell us a little bit about how you got your start in fashion and why you loved it. Uh, it was weird. Uh, my dad was cool with a guy that owned a small department store in Seattle called Nordstrom. Okay. And that was in the, that was in the late, that was in the early eighties and, uh, late seventies. And, um, uh, I, once I got to high school, kind of start working around there, here and there. I met another guy named Pete Norsham, which is his son. And then, you know, from there, you know, I, was, I mean, I worked in the stock room, man. I worked in the stock room, you know, and then finally I got to sell some shoes, lady <laughs> shoes, preferably. Okay, okay. Well, um, that's kind of kind of like kind of I got involved. And, you know, we were the cool kids. I mean, you know, we thought we were the cool kids growing up. So, you know, what we wore, what we put on was always important to us, um, especially with hip hop. You know, we always want the coolest stuff from, uh, you know, I was hoping to get myself a pair of, uh, you know, fresh Adidas. So, you know, stuff <laughs> you were like saving that. up your money. You were saving up for it. Right? Yeah. Save up my money, get some Adidas, you know, hopefully, you know, get myself a nice starter jacket, you know, <laughs> with my with my favorite team on it. You know, so exactly. uh, I mean, that's kind of how I got started. And once, you know, then I um, was going to school at University of Washington. I was going to three schools at one time. Well, actually two between the community college and the University of Washington. And and I was working. So, you know, just. I ended up leaving Nordstrom's and I got plucked by a company um, called the Zebra Club. They were opening up this really cool new concept called uh, the Zebra Club, which was basically bringing MTV to life from an apparel perspective. And so <clears throat> I ended up going to that company and, and who knew that it was like 
from there, I ended up meeting Fred Siegel, you know, going to the work at his store, Fred Siegel in the summertime right, and right. stuff like that. So my boss was my boss and Fred Siegel were best friends. Oh. They were all best friends with this guy named Phil Knight, who owned a little company called Nike. And a guy named Rob Strasser, who started a company called Adidas USA. That's our whole West Coast swing. Okay, so Tony, you know, just, yeah, you were the pioneer of really getting some of these new, these uh, rap artists into the clothes. But today has changed a little bit. What about, what's happening today from your perspective? Well, having, you know, our day, having the rappers and having people wear clothes, you know, it's, it's really the true story of the old marketing adage, which is <clears throat> influence those who influence others, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, that, was a, that was always the thinking. So, you know, it obviously had been done way before, before we started doing it in fashion and rap. You know, there was always um, some type of celebrity, whether it be the Rolling Stones wearing a sweater or, I don't know, somebody wearing some glory band or built jeans. Yeah, right? sure. So, so the real thing is, when did it really get going with black artists and black from hip hop and so on and so forth to start wearing your clothes? And really that, that influence came from the streets. So when you look at, again, I give all the homage to Dapper Dan and April Walker because April had fashion effect. So everybody wanted to dress like, you know, wear the cool stuff that April was wearing or Dapper Dan was wearing. So the, Dapper Dan had all the, uh, all the hustlers, as we all know who the hustlers are. And so did April wearing the stuff, make me something custom because I don't want to wear what everybody else is wearing. Mm-hmm. So April, when she started Walker wear, and I give her, I give her the credit, a lot of credit because she had all these rappers wearing her clothes. I was like, okay, that's cool. And then I, I put two and two together because when um, <clears throat> Grand Puba said, Tommy Hilfinger top gear, uh, I was like, ooh. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Tim's on the bottom and rappers start, ra- rappers were rapping about songs. I say Tommy, I say um, Grand Puba from Brand Nubians because that was one of the really coolest prevalent things that was done without a check. There wasn't a check there yet. FUBU really did it intentionally. They were like, hey, we're going to get LL Cool J making part of the business. Right. Then he's going to wear it. And then, of course, LL Cool J, you know, as we all know, the biggest coup of all coups is when he wore the FUBU hat right. in the Gap commercial. Exactly. And he was like, for us, by us. Blew up. In the Gap commercial. We were all, and we were all like, wow, <laughs> it's over. But now it's a different story. So now our hip hop itself is starting to reap the benefits of how culturally sound we are as far as developing the culture. And hip hop is one of the key architects to the culture. Matter of fact, hip hop is the culture. It was pop culture, but hip hop is the culture for real. Keep it a hundred. Like it's it's transcend through everything. Right. It's set up everybody having their own line, whether it's Beyonce or right. you know whoever. Everybody's got their own line, and so I got the best story in the world for you on that. That's it. There was nothing better. So we were doing Mecca. It's great. Uh, Puff Ward in the video. Big had it on in the video. In the video, I made Biggie his own jersey. Puff. Puff got to wear all the stuff before I before I put it out in the marketplace. Puff would just come to my apartment in the city. He'd be like, "Yo, where are the sample showman?" I give him samples, and he did me a favor by wearing it. Yes. Like you look at all like if you watch the Biggie movie, you'll see him, and they recreated all that, which is great, right? Um, but the funny part about it was was this is the time. This is the telltale. One day I get a call. Puff's like, "Yo, what's up, showman? Won't you and Pabon, Phil Pabon, won't y'all come to the studio?" And I was I just started a Nietzsche. Not even two months. Just started wearing, you know, like he'd already worn the samples and he's been wearing wearing a Nietzsche. Like I need you to wear my new brands. Like yeah, no problem. Boop 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 boop. No transaction. Just friends being friends. Sure. And then I get that magic. I get that magical phone call. Come to the studio. And I said to Phil, I said, you know what this is about? What do you mean? What do you think it could be about? The 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 ninja wants to start a clothing company. I bet. 
Fair enough. Tony, I'm ready to start a clothing company. You know, I got the name for it. And, you know, I mean, no, didn't have a name for it yet. Watch this. You know, the name just came about and had nothing to do with me. Some people were in the room that came up with the name and he was part of that. But, you know, you know, I didn't say Groovy Lou nothing. But anyway. <laughs> wow. um, so, yeah. So then he was like, yeah. And I want you to help work on it. And, you know, maybe you can come and be a part of it. And uh, I said, Puff, I got my own clothing company. I just started. You're the one that's been helping me. You've been wearing it. So, and then he was like, yeah, okay, tell him. I said, but I will do anything. And then I connected him with Jeff Tweedy to start Shaw Job. I love it. Well, you know, what's kind of beautiful here in uh, West, uh, in, in Southern California, in Los Angeles, in Lamar Park, you see people, never young people, young people all over the place. Everybody is starting a clothing line. And so for me as a content yeah. creator, I think it's an amazing space to allow people to have a creative, um, you know, voice in terms of what people put on their backs. And, you know, we're really big on buying black you know, black people buy in black, right? So I mm -hmm. love when there's a designer of color and comes in or, or ethnic or something that can comes in that is really speaking to their culture. And that's what you were able to do back in the day. You continue to do it for brands today. And I just, sure. I am excited about this history and the part that I you mean, it's in. fun. Yeah, it's fun. And, I, and I'm thankful that I got to play a part in it and be at the time that I did it. But it's really, truly the long tail effect, you know, and the long tail effect is everybody, you know, the price of entry is free. So it's like now that like when Pro Tools came out, everybody could be a producer. And then, you know, of course, everybody yes. wants to be a rapper. Now everybody's everybody a filmmaker. Wants to be a fashion designer. <laughs> now everybody's filmmaker, a filmmaker, fashion designer. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we come forward, yeah. we're going to hear more from Tony Shellman. He is the urban fashion guru. <laughs> we have him all in the sweet spot. you're just joining me this is Angelique and we're living in the sweet spot with Tony Showman I'm so excited to have this fashion guru with us um, we're learning about his beginnings and we talked about starting in, in Nordstrom's and working in the stockroom and moving his way up to getting him into the prestigious Parsons School of Design and then the rest is history and let's hear a little bit about that tell me about once you uh, graduated from Parsons where did you take your next uh place in this market and how did you start to build your own brands that had so much so much power um well before i while i was going to school i was kind of working at the same time mm -hmm. and so um i had a sales rep job and that sales rep job was for the company that i worked for in seattle so i got i had a boss which is you know one of my closest friends to the day like a few years older than me he's like my brother and so you know basically once he figured out that i could do the work he would basically would phone it in, Tony, you got to go in and show the accounts. So I was selling the accounts and going to school at the same time and managing my schedule as best I could at Parsons. So I would manage my schedule at Parsons, walk three blocks down the street to go to my job. And, um, and my boss was like, you know, taught me the thing. And it's like, the funny part about it was like, he didn't know I really wanted to become a sales rep or, or design in the design business and tell the key, why are you cleaning up the showroom? It's clean. Mm. I said, I'm just here to, I'm here watching the meetings that you're in mm -hmm. so I can learn something. He was like, oh, wow. Because he, he stopped me one day. It's like, okay, I count left. He's like, why are you still here? This place is spotless. I was like, oh, well, uh, I just got to make sure everything was super clean. He goes, ain't nothing else to clean. Why are you here, man? <laughs> I said, look, man, I'm here just trying to learn as much as I can learn. Okay. So um, that was that piece. Um, and so, so wait, wait, did, they start, to, to wait, did yeah. they start to invite you into the meetings just so you can sit and learn? 
Yeah, finally. No, no, not so much student learn. My boss was like counting on me to, to work for him. So okay. he gave me two tokens, two tokens. I um, went uptown to a couple of accounts, came back with these crazy orders. He was like, oh, this kid can sell. Right, right. And so next thing you know, I was on the sales team mm-hmm. selling. I had my own list of accounts. I took those accounts from here to here, you know, next level. So he was like, this is great. And then um, worked. him and I worked the magic for for a good year or so. I graduated from school and then um, he fired me. Hmm. Okay. He fired me. Okay. He fired me. He's like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, you got to go. Because I had nowhere else to go but his job. And he ah. was like, you could do my job, but what am I going to do? <laughs> and so, but the good news was um, it was like, I think I was fired for 12 hours. And then, you know, him and I both knew there was a bunch of people that were trying to hire me from the company anyway. Okay. So I got a job. I got a job like, the next day oh, doing his job it. for somebody else. I love and it. so, yeah, that was crazy because school was crazy. So okay. there you go. So your early influence in this sort of street wear industry um, started and we, we started to look at how the relationship between hip hop and the clothes that the artists were wearing, right? How powerful that yeah. was. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Well, for me, the, how powerful hip hop was in fashion hadn't hit when I was in Seattle yet. It was still pop. It was influential, but it was still in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, when I finally moved to New York, it became more and more prevalent in the in you know in fashion in the space. So that was like in ninety one, ninety two, and prior before that, before me, you know, I got to look up to guys like Dapper Dan, um, <laughs> April Walker doing Walker wear and fashion and effect, and of course, um, um, Shirt Kings, all those kind of guys, all the cool fashion stuff that as kids we want to always be able to be a part of. So um, <clears throat> that's where a lot, that's where a good chunk of my hip hop urban influence came. But when I was working in New York, I um, started, you know, doing product placement with the clothes that I had. And like some of the guys I worked with first was, I met Andre and Russell at Nels. So Andre was like, you got to come up to my record label, Uptown Records. And then that's when I met Puff. And once I met Puff, then I met Mary and it well, was history well, a from lot, there. A lot was happening in Nels. <laughs> I think I I met my husband there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was in nails. A lot of intersections. Yeah. I was, I was in nails with Andre and Russell and I was like, I was like their buddies and we would always be like, Hey, okay, come on in. And next, you know, you know, they're showing me how to, you know, manage me like as my, do this, do that, do this, do that. So fashion wise, you gotta do it. Why are you doing, why are you work for somebody? You gotta go get your own thing and blah, 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 blah. So I really was influenced by that, but mainly like for the influence of job and after school, Brett Wright really, really played a big part in that too, as far as, yeah, you, you, you got the talent kid. So I got to hang out with like um, other different artists from the different photographers like Keith Majors, um, uh, Chimo Du, all these mm-hmm. great photographers and and, you know, I was there when Dave started the Source magazine. So, you know, I was just around so many great people. Carl McCaskill with McCaskill Communications. So there you go. So, so there it is. It, so, okay. <laughs> You've had quite a life, Tony. So in, 1990, in 1994, <laughs> though, you started Mecca US, USA, correct? And, how, yeah. and yeah. so tell us about that quickly. And then we want to talk, of course, about yeah. Nietzsche because, you know, that's what yeah. my <laughs> kids were all growing up wearing. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, when we... Uh, so back in the 90s and the mid 90s, I worked. So I got fired. Then I ended up getting a job. This guy, Jeff Tweedy, hired me f- to come work at this company called Cross Colors. Mm-hmm. They were fairly new and it was cool. And it was hot. It was fun. I was like, okay, 
But Jeff knew what I could do. So Jeff was like, we're going to hire this new guy that's new to this business. His name is Tony Shellman. And I'm looking at Jeff like, what? He's like, trust me, just get in there. So I got a job with April Walker. I worked for Walkerware. And Carl Kanai was there, my man Carl, and wow. Cross Color. So we were all there in the one roof. And um, that's where I really got to. April kind of helped me home. April didn't kind of, April helped me hone in my marketing skills and my brand building skills. So that's where, from there, I met Biggie, Chris Rock, Faith. I mean, you name it, I met all these celebrities. And then one day, I got fired again. April was like, yeah, you got to go. I go, what do you mean? We just did all this business. Let me run your company. I'll show you how to do it. Blah, blah, blah. You're fired. And that's when I really got fired. And she was wonderful for firing me. Because don't get it twisted. She said, you're fired. Because she's like, Tony, why are you working here? Go start your own company, man. And a month later, I came back. I went to Paris for a week and a half, two weeks, visit some cousins and friends of mine. I came back and I started Mecca. And you started Mecca. Okay. so Yeah, I, I got together with my boy Evan Davis and started it in a pizza shop. <laughs> Pronto Pizza on 42nd Street. So when you were coming up with this whole uh, concept for Mecca, what was what was in your mind? What was on that pizza box? I'm just curious in the very beginning. Right. <laughs> you know what it was? It wasn't even so much the pizza box, right? It's just we were, were goofy. I'm a transplant New Yorker, so I like all the New York. <laughs> so we're sitting there and I'm like, we got to do something about that. Like, we got to do something different, new. And we got to just change the game. And I was like, there was all these cool brands already in the game. Like there was, again, there was cross colors. The real cool brands were like Walkerware, you know, Carl Kanai, but mainly Walkerware. And these brands were hot. Yes, but yes. they were like, so at the time there was no urban fashion, it was just streetwear. Mm -hmm. And streetwear consisted of all these brands like um, um, Triple Five Soul, P&B Nation, um, Two Black Guys, uh, Stussy, okay. Uh, okay. you know, Fresh Jive. Wow. All those great brands. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I want to just elevate the the sportswear business. Seeing that I come from the sportswear business from Seattle mm -hmm. and have been around sportswear brands my whole life and quite frankly knew what it was like to make clothes, knew the process, knew how to do tech packs, knew how to do design calendars and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. I was like, why so when I started explaining that to some of my peers that I worked for, they weren't really necessarily they hadn't done it that way. They mm -hmm. I came from a structured business of that stuff. Right. Versus they were just, just like, grassroots. Cool, we're gonna do this. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just out of the truck. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, and I didn't come from grassroots. I came yeah. from all these structured companies. So I was in the design meetings at Esprit. Mm -hmm. I was in the design meetings at Genera and International News and Bum Equipment. So I understood the process. So for me, a lot of times when I'm sitting there with all these other companies that I'm working for, I'm like, hmm, that's not necessarily how you do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I was like, okay, I can, I can really flip this. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we did Mecca in our first year in Mecca and sales. We did our first 18 months. We did almost 25 million. Wow. Mm -mm. So yeah, that went pretty fast. That, that, that's amazing. I mean, in the urban buying power, I mean, I think people have always underestimated who we are and what sure, we bring to far. the table. By right? far. And even corporate America started to take notice at some point and, and figure out. Yeah, they all minute. got in. Right. If we, if we, you know, put a rapper in a couple of things or put an yeah. R&B singer, right. we, we can uh, change right. the tune. And, and I really do look at the way you did business. I didn't realize that you came from such um, 
uh, I don't want to say a learned background. I didn't know if this was just in you. You know what I'm saying? But what was beautiful to know is that you prepared yourself. You, you had amazing mentors. You uh, worked yeah. at every level so that you can under, really understand the business. And this is why it's so important. So, Eniche, yeah. uh, tell us about the beginnings of Eniche. Because I want to get into who you are today as um, a partner, who you are as a parent. Yeah. And we're going to get into all yeah. that. But I'm just setting the stage. I want everybody to yeah. understand the mastermind behind Eniche and some of these uh, iconic brands who set, set the yeah, yeah. stage for what's happening today. Yeah. So yeah, this is what, this is so fun. Cause like, you know, so it was weird, right? Because we were doing Mecca and, you know, $25 million at the time was not sneeze, you know, you know, it was, it was pretty decent number. We were like, you know, so thank the Lord for like, we were, everything had come together. So again, back to that timing thing, like, you know, I, this is the part that's hard for me. Like, like the right people, like I was friends with Phil Pabon. Phil Pabon knew everybody and was from Queens. If you were from Queens, you definitely knew everybody. Right. So Phil Pabon was from Queens. If it wasn't for Phil putting us on his back, I wouldn't have been able to get into any party, any events, wouldn't be cool with any rappers. Mm -hmm. Like Phil's like, yeah, come on, we're gonna go hang out with my friend Nas. Mm -hmm. And I'm like this, I'm like, Nas, Nas? He's like, yeah, we'll go. So we, we go visit Nas. I'm like, wow. Or we go uptown and go visit Pete Rock and see how smooth. Right. I'm like, like Pete Rock, like like the Soul Brother number one, Pete Rock, sales Smooth. <laughs> exactly. And so it was to your point, like your podcast, all these stars start lining up for me. Yes. And I do mean like that. So these when I say stars, stars to me are people. So the Phil Popones, the Evan Davises of the world. So like I said, he knew I was cheating around that showroom. Was like, here's a job. Jeff Tweedy, April Walker. The list goes on for the people that helped me get there. So with a Nietzsche, when we left, and here's the funny part, we walked away from Mecca because... Don't get it twisted. I love my mentor and the one that started me. And I mean it like that. I give him praise and glory to the world. And he passed away. But um, man, I just didn't see the vision with him. Like I just, he just, it was one of those things like he could see 30 million at best. I was like, that's not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. we, we need more We need more money. Mm -hmm. We need more money. We need longer pockets. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some people in Westchester I know that, that, would, that would coach me on this type of stuff. Tony, you need more money. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yes, you, you need more. Why well, says, well, says you need more capital? Yes, I'm like okay. <laughs> so you, you had to, so you so you took a couple of those stars into your fold as well. I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That Westchester, that Westchester financial bank lessons were great. I mean, yeah. a lot of lot of great mentors. You know, I I mean, the list goes on. The Johnny Graves of the world. The list. The Bill Lightons. The Michael Little Johns. The list goes on. And, and then don't forget my ladies in the house, you know, <laughs> the Carolyn Graves of the world, you know, yes. I get the ladies go on for days. Yeah. So anyway, with all, so when you're being nurtured by all these wonderful people, this is the part I love. I was like, I was like the richest and still am the richest man on the planet with all this love and, and, and all this culture that I get to be held. These people put their arms around me and they talked to me. I was their brother. I was, you know, I was their, I was their cousins. I was their sons. I was their nephews. And that's how I have all this. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm so rich in this. Mm -hmm. So Nietzsche was like, I was like, they were like, look, Tony, you know, again, so my Western friends were like, Tony, you, you need more money. And so then I told my partner at, um, at Mecca, we're, we're going to do you, we're going to break, we're out. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you're leaving? We're going to leave. Mm -hmm. We're going to sell you our shares of the company. Mm -hmm. Deuces, just like that. <laughs> yep. And there you go. We left and we started Nietzsche. And we raised, we went to Nike. We went to all these different brands. and. Fila, Nike, everybody offered us money and deals and Adidas, everybody offered us deals, but we want a complete autonomy. So we went with Fila and Fila, you know, they were decided to invest, let's just say they want to bleed. 
Wow. So there it is. That's how we started a Nietzsche. I love it. And But when you got ready to sell a Nietzsche, that's the number that blew us all away, at least blew me away. <laughs> tell, tell my audience how much Nietzsche sell, sold for and who it sold to. So, so in that time, we sold a Nietzsche in 2004. Wow, that's a long time ago. 2004, and we sold it for $114 million Plus, we got to keep the money in the bank, which was another, quite frankly, 20 money bucks. Wow. So basically $134 million. My gosh. Now, and, and that was that was just that was a shy low number on the EBITDA. So if you had got if I had done that today, okay, I'm like, if I had done that today, we'd probably get like at least at least a billy for this thing. Oh my goodness. Mm. But back in 1994, Easy. that Easy. was pretty doggone good. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on. And then I know I then I know it sold again for $20 million after that. So it has been yeah. a, an ongoing process. So listen, we're going to talk about all this and we're going to talk about more of you personally, how you do what you do and what some of the lessons you've learned along the way. And we're going to do this all in the sure. sweet spot when we come forward. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from legend icon Tony Shellman with me and we are talking about uh, the early beginnings of Nietzsche and Mecca USA and all that he's done and all that he's doing. Let me ask you a question, Tony. You've talked about having great mentors and uh, people in your life who've really made a huge difference and impact, brought you into the, your own sweet spot. But tell me about one of the hardest lessons you learned. This show is often about uh, trials and tribulations wow, yeah. to triumph. So it's not all been all been easy. It sounds like it, but I'm sure you've had some valuable. Yeah, lessons. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the 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 hardest parts and the the real trials and tribulations is you know really really trying to you know dissect you know not knowing that I need to see past myself. You know where they say the eye beholds everything but itself, mm. and you know I just it all came fast. It was all going fast, and it was like. If for lack of a better phrase, I phrase like this, I was like a top athlete with a million people around me because I could make the money, which is fine. I'm I'm fine. I signed up for all that. And I'm a big boy, so it doesn't make me all of a sudden not be responsible for myself. And, you know, I just had to grow. Bottom line, I tell people I just had to grow up. I mean, I made mistake after mistake after mistake. And, um, you know, it's easy to count it professionally, business-wise, how great it was and what we did. And I was, you know, I've always been just a simple savvy dude, you know, because I was lucky to have like mentors in education. So with that education, I was able to, you know, I was, I was able, my dad always taught me like get the information and then work the information best you can. So what happened was, you know, I just, just, I stopped looking at growing up and start focusing on business. But the problem is you can't do, you have to do them simultaneously. Hmm. So what happens is eventually you'll start not growing up and then you just start acting stupid, however you want to look at it. And so I just, you know, 
You know, it's like you go in and out of being stupid and not being stupid and being stupid and just, and you know, <laughs> just being an idiot. You know, just I mean, if you want the answer, just being a just being an idiot, just wow. like that. So you know, as Forrest Gump says, uh, you know, stupid is as stupid does, right? So, so right. once you is. get through there some of the is, stupid man. moments, you know, you 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 have some right. lessons, valuable lessons, and tell me one lesson, valuable lesson you can give. And we this is national broadcast, so we will not we will not say those words <laughs> yeah yeah no problem yeah gotcha gotcha did you kiss your mother with that mouth Tony? no no um no one lesson one valuable lesson that i learned is bottom line and i learned this from my parents is that you've gotta you've gotta be selfless you gotta you can come last it's okay mm. it's okay you have to be good to yourself but you can you have to make sure your people around you and everybody else is is okay. And, and I knew that, you know, and I did a decent job of that, but then, you know, that's, how are you with their, how are you with, how you speak to them? How are you with them? How do you treat them? You know, what's it like? Cause you know, you can't take words back, you know, you know, once you say it, it's out. So, so, so this I is, had to learn all that kind of stuff. This is great. This is a great uh, segue because you're talking about business community and you're also talking about your personal family. Right. So let's talk about partnerships. I mean, you know, you're a great looking guy. You had a lot of talent and clearly you had a lot of money. So you're you're that you're that poster child for what every young woman wants. So tell me about relationships and how you live them then and how you live them now. All those ladies were lying. That's BS. What are you talking about? Oh my gosh. Oh, my bad. My bad. Um, how are relationships? How was I? Um, I had my moments. I, you know, in my relationships, you know, you know, I'll put it out there. I was married and that went left, you know, and I definitely was the main part of that going left. Mm-hmm. I did, um, I did a good job and a bad job, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. my bad, my good outweighed my bad by a little, and I do mean a little. And when I mean that, I mean I was young. I was young. I was I was reckless with it all. And I tell people all the time, um, you know, if I had to do it all over again, would I do a different? Damn right, I would. Mm. And I'm okay with saying that. Mm. And the only reason I say that because the eye beholds everything but itself. And then I couldn't see myself. I wasn't selfless. I was selfish. Mm. So I had to learn how to become. I had to grow up and learn how to become selfless. So my biggest moment was like, you know, again, one day I woke up and I was just miserable. And I was miserable with my marriage. And then I kept on going a little deeper and a little deeper. And I realized I was miserable with my marriage because of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I was I was truly in self-destruction mode and didn't realize it. But the bigger point I always tell people is there's something that's rooted to that. Yes. So let's let's keep on going. So so it wasn't just my marriage. My marriage was just um, a symptom what was really going on with me. Okay. You know, and you know, uh, there was traumas that I, I didn't know about that had existed that finally caught up with me in life. I'd been running from all these traumas my whole life. And as you, um, as you're running, you, you pick up bodies, you, you know, you, you end up with bodies on the way going through those traumas. You know, you run through people it's just like that. So I was running through people and you know, anybody that got in my way, got mowed down because I didn't know any better to, and I'm not letting myself off the hook by no means necessary, mm-hmm. but it's not what you don't know. It's what you do know that isn't always right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And you talk about trauma. We in our community, Tony, we go through so much trauma throughout our lives and 
we have yet to sort of pinpoint and deal with them so that we can understand how it affects all of our decision making. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's really important to hear you say that you had to evaluate where you were and why some of these uh, some of this was following you. (laughs) It wasn't because of the same people. Sometimes it's just you needed to do some things differently. And and as all of us go through, all of us need to uh, take hold of that. Yeah. So I just needed to go through some. I need to really reevaluate who I was, what I was doing and. And it wasn't until, you know, I always I always make fun of people like it wasn't until I did some self-preservation training is when and it's so funny because the self-preservation training didn't kick in for some time. But I had it's almost like I went and read these books and I had it. And then I one day decided to go turn on the switch and turn on the information. Mm-hmm. And then I started living by the information. Mm-hmm. But I had the information. I went to the courses. It was great. I understood it, understood what it could do. I start working with it slowly but surely. And then once I got myself present, I start really being able to see myself for who I was and how wacky I needed to change some things. Mm-hmm. That's when it all got started getting even better. But that wasn't until later on in life. After I'd gone through a whole bunch of stuff, whole bunch of money, it is mm-hmm. definitely cheaper to keep her. Sorry, but um, it's true. <laughs> but, it's true. But, but, you know, again... You got to go through it. You know, I always tell young people, I said, y'all don't want my information. Y'all don't want to talk to me about it. But wait a minute. I'm going to go back to that. Cheaper to keeper. You say that because, yeah, there's a lot to divide and all that. But is it really cheaper to keep someone if you're not happy and haven't done the work? So first you have to do the work so you can understand how to make it a healthy environment. Otherwise, you're just going to keep her and it's just going to be miserable and you're just going to keep her. So it really is. Yeah, let's go back to keep it. Let's go back to the statement. Let's go back to the statement. Yeah, let's go back to the statement. Yeah. Cheaper to keep her is is definitely cheaper to keep her. Um, That's always a statement. But no, like you said, if you don't go do the work, if you don't go do the work on yourself yeah. and then go back and tell that person. And then, cause again, everybody's got to want to do the work to do the work, but you got to know that there's work to be done. Cause you can pretend to do the work. You can go to therapy you can do this, you do that. But if you don't really realize that you need to do the work, mm-hmm. forget about it. You are just wasting your time yeah. when you're like my daddy told me when you're ready, you'll be ready. Right. And you know, it, right. To really commit and to be in the situation that, and it doesn't matter if you're in relationship, marriage, uh, a business partnership, you know, it, it's in, in everything. Right. Anything. So when we come forward, we're going to hear more from uh, Tony Shellman. Bring it. On your mark, ready, set, let's go. Dance floor pro, I know, you know, I go psycho when my new joint hit. Just can't sit, gotta get jiggy with it. That's it, the honey, honey, come ride. TKNY, all up in my eyes. You gotta try to. All right, if you're just joining me, we've got Tony Shellman in the sweet spot. And Tony, we're talking, this has really been great because you've been really authentic and open about both your success and some of the challenges and what you had to learn along the way. But today, you know, you and I were just talking about transparency, how important it is. And maybe because of COVID, maybe because of social media, whatever this is, how has today changed and, and where are you? Some of it's our maturity, right? Some of it is just basic maturity, Sure, but some of it is the culture has shifted and changed. And let's talk about that. How important is transparency and and people having some self-evaluation? Well, Transparency is very important. I mean, again, if you want to grow, you know, you got to be transparent because, you know, it's like a muscle has to tear first in order for it to grow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so what, how does it go? Um, 
back to what I was saying earlier, it's not what you don't know, it's what you do know that isn't always right. Mm -hmm. So with that being transparent, once you decide to let go and be vulnerable, because vulnerability is power, mm -hmm. once you decide to do that, you're powerful, you're, you're as strong as can be, so then you nothing can bother you, because mm -hmm. you're being transparent. So if I say to you, hey, look, okay, Angelique, yeah, we're about to get it on, like, let you know, oh, by the way, I'm broke and my credit sucks, but I love you, I'm a good man, I'm a change man, I'm in a good place in life, that's where I'm at. So I've been, I've been at that statement before, but guess what I said to people? You know, I would use another phrase, but guess what I said to people? I sit back just like that and say, that's who I am. And this is where I'm at my journey. You're very welcome to come along, but this is what I'm going to be. Because what I'm not going to do is I'm not going, I'm not going to put up with the fakeness. I don't need your, your like, you know, Hey, I, I, I know what you wear at night when you go to bed. I know it's on your head just like that. And I say it like that on purpose. And, um, exactly. but same time, I know what your credit score looks like too. Just like, you know what my credit score looks like. So what are we doing? Because when my parents were coming together, it was nothing but transparency. Mm -hmm. My parents were married for 51 years and it was transparency. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a choice. As my dad would say, Ninja, this is who I am. My mom was like, Ninja, I know who you are. You know who I am. And so let's go build. You can't have that unless you're 100% transparent of where y'all at together. Mm -hmm. And you commit to say, hey, what are we going to go do? Well, you know, I, I'm, so pretty, I'm pretty authentic and transparent because I can't remember the lie. So I just never been a good liar. <laughs> so I, I just can't even go there. <laughs> it's way too much work for me. So let's talk about parent, right, right. parenthood. How many kids do you have? Ooh, I have three kids. And? Well, four. There's four because I consider myself one of my own damn kids. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have three kids. <laughs> and you're about to say, wow, really? this is new. <laughs> no, I have three kids. I have uh, my two-year-old, which is Colin who is named after my biological mom and my adopted mom, Colin Cora. Mm -hmm. There's my four-year-old who is named after my wife's mom. And then my son, who is Lindsay Charles, who's named after my dad and my biological dad. Wow. Those are my kids. So you've got a lot of lessons that you've learned in parenthood. Um, it, it's going to be interesting because <laughs> you look like you're a hands-on dad for sure. And uh, you Not have to carve out time. Not even playing with me. You have to carve out time to make all that happen. So when we come forward, we're going to figure out how you do it and some final words of wisdom from Tony Shellman. If you are just joining us, and I hope you aren't, because if you are, you're going to have to go to the podcast and check it out on uh, Spotify, Living in the Sweet Spot with Angelique Francis, because you don't want to miss these. These are some amazing conversations I'm having right here in the Sweet Spot. We have uh, Tony Shellman with us, and we're getting all this loving wisdom. Tell us a, a story about you and being a parent, because I know I see all this stuff on social media. You are such a proud parent, and I love that. Um, what's it like being a parent? Mm. I'll say just like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing. Um, I always say this to everybody real quick. I feel like my son was my, who made me a dad, um, quite frankly, saved my life. Who knows how I was spiraling and where I was going at life at that time. He came, he was unplanned. And I got a call saying, guess what? We're going to have a baby. I was like, wow, who are you again? No, I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> not that bad. I'm joking, joking, that, joking. Anyway, that would have so, been um, back in the day, but today uh, you're joking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, yeah, 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 yeah. Today, yeah, today I'm joking. So anyway, so long story short, it's been, he, he, he saved my life. And I say that because when my son popped into my life, I, I truly believe it was a godsend because that's when I changed. Mm -hmm. That's when I grew up. I mean, like, like overnight, like, because I was like, whoa. I got to take care of this guy. I got to make sure he's right. Make sure everything, because, you know, I was adopted and my parents chose me. So I was like, good looking out. I'm not going to mess this one up for you. <laughs> so, you know, and, you know, as much as you can, as much as you can uh, intellectualize doing something, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. 
So it took me to learn that. And it was cool. A lot of trial and error. But you know what? I just said, hell, God wouldn't have gave me this child if he didn't believe I could do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I took that. I took that. That was my mantra. Like, okay, God gave me you. So let's keep on reworking it and working. And that's when I start learning that there is no right way. It's your way. And you, you can figure it out. You can learn and grow. And that's, that was my, that was my, my, was my version of parenting with my, with my son. And then when my daughters came, I was a little bit older. So I kind of had a little bit of a, um, a little bit of good, a good understanding of how to do it. But what I didn't know then when I had my first one was it's not the same as the, my last one that I had 12 years. I mean, <laughs> They're uh, all different. 10 years or how many ever years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, but I didn't know that at the time. I'm like, Oh, if I just do this, it should be fine. Nope. <laughs> nope. And then, but so when my, when my third one came, I was like, I was prepared. Cause I was like, yeah, you ain't gonna trick me. I know this is all different because you're different. And I got, I got two others working at the same time. So you're definitely going to be a different situation. So yes, that, that is my, my version of parenting. And there you go. I love it. And you know, you are such a super dad. You used to come around and watch all of us who had babies before you and take little notes. I saw you, I saw your wheels were turning even then. Uh, and so it is a pleasure, not just to uh, hear your story. Yeah. And... Y'all made it look easy. Y'all made it look easy. <laughs> well, that's Y'all the trick. That's the trickery. That's the trickery. That's the trick. Yes. <laughs> that's on purpose. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough. I know that you are always busy when you have something you want to launch. Come back to me. We're going to talk about it. Um, just thank you for yeah. uh, getting uh, coming uh, west. And we do. We're going to hear this on the East Coast, too. But we this, this yeah. station is in Lemur Park on the West Coast, the only black owned uh, radio station west of the Mississippi. And we're really hey, proud, of, up, the, west Coast? proud west of the work Coast. we did. Proud of the work. To do. When do you know you're in the sweet spot real quick? Oh, my gosh. You know, when, I, when I'm in the sweet spot. Is when I'm with my babies, when I'm with my wife, when I'm with my friends and my family. That's when I'm in the sweet spot. So, and I'm being my authentic self. That's when I'm in the sweet spot. All right, with well, honey, you can come back to this sweet spot anytime. Thanks again, uh, Tony, for being here. This episode was brought Thank to you. Thank you for having me. By Beloved Entertainment, my impact media company. You don't forget to go and check out my new podcast on Spotify. You can hear a bunch of these shows. We've had probably 85 shows that we've done and we're going to start loading them up season by season and the first one's up so check it out on Spotify Living in the Sweet Spot with Angelique Francis that's the name of it <laughs> and coming up next is Lyric Lounge with Tasha Teal and Ural you know the stay tuned to hear the music and the magic and remember to follow me on nice. Angelique in the Sweet Spot on Instagram <laughs> <laughs>